Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. Got a very special guest today on the program, but before we get started, there are a few things I'd like to talk about. For one thing, I'd like to mention thelastsymptom.com. That's my website for free resources, and I encourage you to run over and take advantage of those free resources. Also, if you'd like to support my work with a donation, that can be done right from thelastsymptom.com. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing that I haven't been talking about all too awful much lately is the upcoming Last Symptom Fundamentals live and online course directed to the U.S. West Coast. Of course, it doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you want to join and can put up with that schedule for two weeks, you are welcome to join. It's a two-week structured course designed for those who are dealing with an emotional disorder and would like to expedite their recovery efforts. That's coming up on August 17th. It'll go for two weeks with weekends off. Four hours every evening for two weeks starting August 17th. I've already got folks getting registered for that class. So you're going to hear me talking about this a lot between now and August. If you would like to participate in only the second of such classes that I've held, this is your opportunity Again, it's designed for the U.S. West Coast. What I mean is it's scheduled for their particular time zone, and it's fast approaching. And as I said, I've already got people registering for that class. So please run over to thelastsymptom.com if this is something you're interested in, and register for that course for August 17th. It's coming very soon. It was originally scheduled for a while back, but the COVID thing set it back. I pushed, I pushed this back because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So August 17th is the date. You can get all the information you need over at thelastsymptom.com. You'll want to go into the paid services tab and scroll down, and there you'll see it. If you, if you click on the book now tab, uh, what will come up is more information about the details of the course, the precise dates, the times, and other important details about what that course is going to be like. Now, uh, next week, I'll talk about this in, more, in greater detail, uh, put more focus on it. But I want to kind of keep this episode today under a certain amount of time. And we've got a really nice interview coming up with somebody we'll call Bonnie that I think you're going to enjoy. 
But before we get into that conversation with her, it has been a while since I've shared any poetry with you. And somebody happened to share with me just the other day a very nice poem that I thought I would turn around and share with you. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called The Invitation by Uriah Mountain Dreamer. And it goes like this. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you'll risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are square in your moon. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow if you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, to be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty, even when it's not pretty every day, and if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand at the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done to feed the children. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. The Invitation by Uriah Mountain Dreamer. That was passed on to me this week. I thought you would like it. And so I shared it with you. Now, 
on to today's conversation with a person we're going to call Bonnie, you know, like Bonnie and Clyde. It's fun. You're going to enjoy it. And so let's bring her in here and get this thing started. Do you know why they like the squeak? It sounds like another dog. No. What are, what are they trying to do whenever they're squeezing that squeaker? They are trying to kill an animal. Oh. And the squeaking is the animal diet. Oh, wow. You just darkened this whole thing. I know. Well, that's a uh, reality for you. <laughs> You can accept it or deny it. That's up to you. <laughs> good way to start this. How are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you want to tell us where about you're at? I am currently in Brooklyn. That's Indiana, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so you're in New York. All right, paint a, paint a picture for us about you, your age, uh, where you're from, your kind of, your life. You know, give, give us a taste. Okay. Um, I'm 30. I, I really suck at these questions. <laughs> I'm originally Lebanese, and I moved to New York about a year ago uh, for acting school. Yeah, I'm currently in acting school. Except there's no school because of COVID. Have you done any interviews or anything right yet for a part? Uh, no, no, no auditioning, nothing like that. I'm just, just studying, studying, studying. Okay, I, I was hoping that you had like a really great Michael Bay story or something. <laughs> no, nothing yet. Maybe next year when I'm back on your show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so far so good. How did you come into? How did you come to? learn about my work and how'd you get sucked down the rabbit hole wow uh okay i've actually never been to a therapist so i'm kind of like self-diagnosed um which actually makes sense now that i listen to everything that you all of your content and stuff that actually makes sense i don't feel like i need a specific diagnosis like it's very clear what i was going through and it's emotional unhealth and not knowing my worth but at the time i didn't know that and um i just saw like I would check out Google a lot and I was like, wow, it sounds like I have this thing called borderline personality disorder. I have no idea what it is. Um, so I kind of speculated that I had it for about a year. And then um, when, when I kind of, quotation mark, hit, hit rock bottom, but like I was in a very dark place. Mm-hmm. Pretty rock bottom for me, relative. Um, I was desperate, and and that's when I was like, oh my god, I do have this thing because all the symptoms showed like everything. It all just made sense. You were in Lebanon at the time. Yeah, I was. It was a Sunday, and I had I, I needed someone right there and then. Like I needed help right there and then, but I couldn't get it right there and then. So I was like, maybe I'll look for podcasts. I'm not even sure how that happened. It was like out of desperation of just anything. I need something. It This, this all had to do with a breakup, of course. <laughs> I first, like, I went on Spotify and I found someone else and I was like, this is crap. <laughs> and then I just typed in borderline personality disorder. Then you were the second person I found and I was like, I listened to your first episode and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> First time I ever heard anything that, like, resonated so well. Oh, 
my God, I, I never even thought about this. Never. But then it just all made sense. And I remember a few things you said in that first episode, like, um, you're like an app. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm like an act. No, you said that uh, people with borderline personality disorder were like an app. Oh, like an app. Yeah, 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 you're right. Mm-hmm. I do. I remember that. <laughs> and it's true, you know, you push this button and this happens and you slide this and this happens. Exactly. I hated that feeling. I hated feeling like, well, I hated once I realized that I had a disorder. I hated the even the concept that my free will was an illusion because I was being manipulated by this underlying programming. Exactly. This distorted thinking. Do you remember the sorts of things you were thinking and feeling before you searched for and found my podcast? What what was you what were you going through internally? Um definitely things that I haven't gone through since. So it's been like a year and a half. It or maybe at least like in those two months after that. It was like feeling of just utter emptiness and like I'm dying and that like the world is ending and darkness like uh, yeah just like feeling like you're about to die and like you need something right now otherwise you're just gonna die fall to the ground and just like collapse which happened a lot that month (laughs) I called that period of my life uh, the gloomy time you know it was everything seemed so gloomy when I would think about the future, I couldn't see any sunshine at, at the end of it. All I saw was just more gloom. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, I think I was, it was for, like, personally, it was so gloomy that I couldn't even think about a future. Yeah, like, future wasn't even in my, it's, it's, it's the worst feeling ever. Such a bad feeling. And for no reason, like, not, no actual real reason. But in it, you're like, what's happening? Like, why am I feeling this way? This is, this is crazy. <laughs> How long was it before you started to kind of feel like you were coming out of that? So to be honest, like when I when I found you, I listened to all of I think you had about 30 episodes in January 2019. It was actually January 27th, 2019. Wow. So when I found you, I went I just like binge listened like to all of the episodes for like a week. For me, like honestly, like I'm not even exaggerating. It was immediate um, change. It was definitely not immediate, um, like complete change. Not at all. Like I'm not saying that like I automatically healed. Not at all. <laughs> but it was like I immediately felt like, oh my god, I'm seeing things completely. Like now I know that I was just seeing things wrong. I never knew that I viewed things wrong. I had no idea what I was going through whatsoever. I just thought I saw reality the way everyone else did so when I found you I realized like oh (laughs) oh okay so I'm just not viewing things the right way so that just that knowledge alone created immediate I was still in so much pain and all of that but I was like there's there's hope and also I realized I I was immediately more natural in the way I communicated with people like just Mm -hmm. less less like that was my my, the first thing that happened to me was the fact that I could finally talk to people and not overthink. And and there was like an episode where you told us what we can do. And it's basically, it's basically whenever you're going through, if you're getting, if you get defensive, 
try to trace it back to the root cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing that immediately. So like all, all the time, 24 hours a day, nobody had any idea what, what I was actually doing when, while talking to them. <laughs> but in my head, I was constantly doing work. Like, it's like, okay, how do I feel right now? Oh, I see. So why do I feel that way? And I would just trace it. That whole activity that you gave us is like genius. So I did that all the time, just all the time. And, um, so, so basically it wasn't fast. It took like a year of doing that to like not do it anymore. I don't actually do it much anymore. Um, but I do it. I still do do it here and there whenever I feel things that I know are not real. They're like feelings of shame or anything, things like that. So, uh, first of all, I, I really identify with that cause I, that was the way I lived for a while too. It was, I was still in pain and everything, but I knew I was on the right track and I was walking around mindful constantly. Uh, there was never a moment, even while I was working, I was working as an interpreter in New England and even on the job. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'd be right in the middle of working, interpreting for another person. But in my head, I'd be working out some of these root causes of, of my issues and kind of looking back into my life and realizing how they had affected me, how if I had not been existing with those fundamental misperceptions how my life would have taken different courses and how I would have made different decisions and you know now here I was I was starting to make those different decisions and starting to see the positive benefits of this new way of thinking and this this mindfulness it was really when I talk to people about you know the, the really the meat of their work that's basically what I'm talking about it's walking around um, now thinking these things through and you know it can be done anywhere it can be done at work it can be done as, while you're walking down the street it can be do, done while you're shopping at the store but you know that mindfulness really needs to be happening often yeah and 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 not stopping your life like continuing it and doing it while you're living because you have to like experience the things to to actually take care of them i think <laughs> yeah now you said that there were a thousand different ways we could go with this. And I, I want to warn the audience that Bonnie says that uh, this conversation could go on for 416 hours. <laughs> so you guys better just strap in and be ready for the long haul. <laughs> we'll Seriously. Pro- we'll probably break it down to, you know, 415 hours shorter than that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. What are some of the... You, you've had a lot of epiphanies along the way. <laughs> oh, wow. I continuously have them. Like, I'm constantly having epiphanies. Um, I still listen to you every single week. No matter how much I learn from you, I can constantly learn more. And I sometimes even listen to past episodes again because I learn something new the second and third time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, what was your question? <laughs> I forgot. I reckon it was, uh, you know, we've got time to take this conversation, go at this conversation from several different angles. I'm curious about what, which angles you kind of had in mind or. Give me a question and I'll try to take it, you know, ask me anything. Well, I thought we had a pretty good conversation here just about a week or so ago. 
Oh, right. We did. We did have a very good conversation. Um, it, it seemed like you had kind of an epiphany moment there, a big light bulb aha moment during that conversation. Oh, I did. I did. So it was about how sometimes, okay, the law of individual um, and inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Wow. Did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Boy, it's a mouthful, ain't it? That's impressive. I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, so that law, that law is so important. The, the, the thing is, you, you don't even have to think about the law if you're healthy. It just happens naturally. But what I realized after we talked about that thing is that this is the law that naturally happens when you are naturally emotionally healthy. Early on, I'm talking two and a half, three years ago, I was calling it the principle of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. And after a short time, I realized I can't call it a principle because it's not something that just is that we can apply or not apply. It's a law in that it describes a reality we all are existing with, whether we know it or not. So because it's a law, the disharmony, the disorder comes from not recognizing that that's the reality you're, you're living with. The natural result is disharmony or dis disorder. So you're right that emotionally healthy people on an instinctual level already live by the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. They look at another person's behavior and things they do and the decisions they make, and they realize that that's the weather to them. There's nothing they can do about it. Um, so they don't waste their energy and time and attention on it. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't care about the other person. The care is there. But they recognize, a healthy person recognizes that our care does not give us license over other people. So on an instinctual level, healthy people care, um, but they don't step outside of their circle in the sand to try to step into somebody else's circle and assume control over their lives, which is what is happening when people don't understand that that's the reality they live in, that they can't control another person, even if you, no matter what their relationship to them is or how much they want to. There's only one person they can control, and that's themselves. So that's why I changed it from principle to law. Um, you know, there are other things that are just principles, like boundaries. You know, boundary, it's not something that you have to live with. But if you want to be healthy, you have to. So you either live in conformity with the principle or you live a disordered life. Those are really the only two options. But it's not something that's, um, it's not a reality that's there whether you believe it or not, you know. Um, you know, the, the whole boundary thing, I think until today, I still don't really understand it. Um, not that I don't understand boundaries, I do, but... Somebody I've been talking to here recently asked me the other day, or didn't really ask me, but she said she's having a hard time coming to understand what's the difference between boundaries and ultimatums. So you're, n you're, not, you're not the only person that struggles with this, but we can work through it right now, you and I. <laughs> what, what is a person who gives an ultimatum trying to do? Uh, 
it's kind of like it's either this or or it's kind of like a threat. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a threat with the purpose of obligating a behave some behavior or action out of another person, right? Yeah, rather than out of themselves, right? So an ultimatum is you're either going to do what I want you to do or else. Yeah. That's not boundaries. Boundaries aren't I want you to do this. Boundaries are recognizing that the other person can do anything they want. <laughs> that that's what it does. A boundary says you know what you can live and make the, any decision you want. But if you make that decision that I can't allow in my life, there will be consequences for it. But you make the decisions you want to make. And the person, you know, uh, mistreats you, for example. So, you know, some people are dealing with that boundary. I don't want to be abused. So you say, all right, I've been living without a boundary for so long, but now I'm going to try to implement boundaries. And the boundary is I won't accept being abused. That's, I can't be healthy. I can't live a content life as long as I'm allowing myself to be abused. So I just can't allow that into my castle, right? So using the castle illustration, whenever the abuse comes, she just starts pulling up the drawbridge. That person's not welcome anymore. You know, you're not telling them you have to do this or trying to make them do that. You're leaving the decision up to them. You're simply saying, this is not allowed in here anymore. And the person still has the, the ability to make their decisions for themselves. So ultimatums are controlling and manipulative. And boundaries are not. Boundaries are simply creating the environment you want inside your bubble. And like communicating what you're doing to that person. Well, a person who hasn't lived with boundaries for, you know, their whole life. Um, yes, when they start to implement boundaries, then they have to communicate those. Because realistically, the people in their lives who have not been used to you living with boundaries now deserve the, the opportunity to respect those boundaries, but they can't respect what has not been communicated to them and that has never existed before. Makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, um, I think I, I've always known what a boundary is, but I feel like I've, at least the past year and a half since finding you, mm -hmm. I haven't needed to set a boundary with anyone because I've, because I've moved so much. I don't really have any close friends, any boyfriend, any have not had one since I found you. <laughs> so I think I haven't really needed to set boundaries because I, I feel like I'm already full of boundaries. Would you uh, allow some guy to walk up to you in the store and just grab your butt? No, of course not. <laughs> well, then you're living with a boundary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I just am living with boundaries. I mean, but I'm sure I, I can see how before when I did have relationships, stuff like that, I probably didn't. That's really where the, the problem arises, because people either subconsciously or unconsciously believe that relationship statuses give, pe give other people certain inherent rights over you. And, and that's not true. That's a delusion. So, so they have a hard time creating and applying boundaries when they're in relationships with people. And I mean, when I say in relationships, it can be, you know, a cousin. It's just because they're blood, you feel like, oh, well, I can't 
enforce boundaries upon this person who's my cousin, but you you absolutely can and you absolutely need to if you're going to have relationship have healthy relationships with your cousins. Why did you decide to to uh, be on this program? It's changed my entire life. <laughs> like I found you when I was 29 and I can safely say that my life started at 29 safely confidently especially my 20s I mean you know like when you live with a disorder with an emotional disorder I think it just gets worse and worse and worse um because you just add extra more and more layers of problems <laughs> so especially in my 20s it was just like non-stop not knowing what's wrong like just being very confused pretending that everything's okay all my relationships were went bad um there was so much heartbreak so much pain and just not only that, it's not only relationships, it's actually everything. It's like a relationship with myself, how I communicate with others, how I communicate what I feel, how I express myself. Not knowing how to even express myself to my own self. Just being like, how to describe it, I don't even know, but like being kind of like so misunderstood by my own self. <laughs> that, that's a really good way to put it. Being so misunderstood by myself, of myself by myself. So even when I would think like, oh, maybe I should go to a therapist, I'd be like, but what am I going to tell them? Because I don't even know what's going on and I won't even know how to express what I'm feeling or what I... And even if I were to ever do that, I know that it was never really the full picture. It's like I didn't... I, I, no matter what I ever said, even wrote or felt or whatever it was, there was something always off. It's like I was constantly acting. <laughs> I was constantly pretending. No matter what, like even if I truly believed that this is how I felt and this is what I wanted and this is, it is, it's, it felt like constant pretending. I'm like living my life pretending to be whatever I was. That's exhausting, ain't it? Yeah, it was just exhaust. It really was. And then also like, changing my mind every day like thinking I believe something one day then the next day it's like a whole different thing and it's like how did I just change my entire outlook on life <laughs> and then like and and that being like my entire life there's there's so many things that like it actually feels like so long ago because so much of it has changed but it was like um oh yeah basing my worth oh yeah like always thinking like how, always trying to find ways so I was obsessed with trying to not hate myself like obsessed with it so I would do everything like I would like eat really healthy um just to like make myself feel like I'm a bit worthy I I, I would go and try to help people like I even worked for an NGO just because I felt like I was I was I felt so bad about myself that I was like, I needed to do something good so that I can feel good about myself. It always came mm -hmm. from the wrong place. It was selfish. It was, mm -hmm. and I, I remember even the thing is I was never, I was always trying to be honest. So I would actually tell everyone, I would be like, I'm not doing this for selfless reasons. I am doing this for selfish reasons. It's because I want to feel good about myself. Like, you know what I mean? I was, I was extremely aware that I was, what was that I was like, I wasn't trying to like fool anyone. I wasn't trying to like, especially like, I was never trying to fool anyone. I was especially not myself. I was just, it was just the best way I knew how to live is like, oh my god, because I feel so bad about myself. Like I need to like. Yeah, there's a word for that. Uh, compensating. 
Yeah. You're trying to compensate for your, your worthless state. Exactly. And I was like, kind of like aware that I was doing this, but it felt, it, I never sat there and thought, oh, isn't that strange? Like that, that's actually wrong. <laughs> I just thought it was my reality. Like, oh my God, I have to like compensate, exactly compensate for, for like all the bad things that I've done, which are not even bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Uh, all the shameful, all the shame that I live with that I, so I need to like do all these other things. And, um, it, it, and like, it sounds like I'm like trying to like be someone I'm not, but I wasn't in the moment. It was extremely genuine and extremely authentic of who I was mm -hmm. in that moment. I was, I never ever was trying to like pretend, it, mm -hmm. like really pretend, like truly, you know what I mean? Like in, in that moment. Right. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. Remember I was doing the same thing. Yeah, you were. <laughs> uh, religion, religion is that for a lot of people. You know, they're they're genuine about wanting to please God and everything. But the motivating forces behind their uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the motivating forces behind or or provoking them to try to live a godly life is actually not coming from a healthy place. It's coming from the same thing: compensation. I I'm. I'm so devoid of worth that I have to do this so that God will love me. Well, it's not a matter of God's ability to love you. It's your ability to receive love. And you can do these, you know, people who are living with these underlying causes of emotional disorder. It doesn't matter how many uh, millions of dollars they donate to charitable causes. It doesn't matter how many food lines they work. It doesn't matter. They, they could do good things for their entire life and the only thing that they believe at the end of it is there was a shitty person who did a bunch of good stuff that's how messed up that is because as long as you believe that the problem is something inherent to you that that you are devoid of worth that's your nature it doesn't matter how many good things you do you're still a shitty person underneath of it all you i mean that's your perspective it's not the reality that's why the roots, ha the root causes of these things have to be addressed. Tell us about acting, not the, the unhealthy kind, but the career kind. What, what, was the, what was the draw there, and how's it going for you? Who are some of your favorite actors? Um, so I, I wanted to be an actor since I was like five. <laughs> um, I always knew that that's what I really want to do just because I'm I'm just that kind of person I like I like the imaginary world and um creativity and like being a clown <laughs> um and I've always been that way uh and just like everything acting singing dancing like I just like performing arts I remember uh, an interview I read with Harrison Ford you know, the Indiana Jones guy. This is uh, years ago. I mean, maybe, maybe 15, 20 years ago. But the, the, the headline of his interview was, I wanted to live many lives. <laughs> kind of sums up what you just said. Yeah, exactly. I love that. You can never get bored. And this, there's, a, there's a whole rush that comes with, like, acting. I, I'm sure there's also, like, unhealthy things, you know, like, you know, being 
watched the validation of it, uh, probably. But at the root of it, like, I love the art. So who are some of your favorite actors? Ooh, <laughs> I have a lot. But um, I like the girl in Amélie, uh, you know, Audrey. Tot- oh, the French girl, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. I like French actresses. They're all great. <laughs> like, a lot of them are great. Like, the ones in Blue is the Warmest Color. Have you watched that? I have not seen that, no. There's, um... What do you think about Roberto Benigni? Who's that? <laughs> oh, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's the uh, only Italian, I think, to win a Best Actor Oscar uh, for Life is Beautiful. He's the one, yeah, he's the one who teaches his kids, uh, oh, bonjour, no principessa. Oh, right, right. Don't, don't put this in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, to answer your next question, how is it? So, so I, I spent, like, my entire life trying not to be an actor, honestly. Um, trying to do like anything else just because I felt like it wasn't accepted by the society I was in and it's kind of like I was always ashamed of it I was actually ashamed that I wanted to be an actor I never told anyone no one really knew um, and it was just weird right <laughs> uh, and and then like when I found you actually um, slowly like as the months went by I, a lot of things started changing in my life like everything not a lot of things everything started changing and i think there was like oh yeah i started going to acting classes so you're discovering the last symptom gave you the confidence and kind of the direction in life to say i'm going to seize my dreams and really go for what i want to go for and 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 nobody else can live my life this is it this is up to me Exactly. I think, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't that immediate. It was more like things changed, lots of things changed. And then I was like, then uh, like a lot of the true me started coming out, like who I really am started, Mm -hmm. started really showing. And I started seeing me for who I was a lot more. This was like back in June. So six months after finding you, five months after. Well, would you mind mentioning that when you're uh, receiving your Golden Globe Award here in the next five, 10 years? Just, just point to the, uh, you know, the the television cameras and say, Mr. Mr. Barnett, happy Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's all, it was, it was you. It was literally you. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do this finally. And I started, I started, you know, saying what I actually wanted to do not being ashamed of it and at first like people's reactions were like wait what (laughs) and i was like yep (laughs) well that's excellent that is excellent man what a great you just made my day oh you you made my life (laughs) what are you hoping to do with your acting are you hoping to get into movies right off or are you hoping to get maybe a sitcom deal or so it's actually pretty uh amazing because The school that I'm at, well, I knew this already because before going to it, I read the book and I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. But the school that I'm at is it's far from therapy. I'm not saying it's therapy, but it's all about being who you really are under imaginary circumstances. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And like you are very vulnerable. Like when I first started, I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I was I was actually ready to quit. But like two months in, I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, this is so hard. 
um, because you're you're basically just you can't hide. People are watching you, and you just can't hide because you're just all of your. I, I, well, I can't describe it in one you know in this podcast, but like it's a very vulnerable place. I, I find that it was so ironic because it, it, it was perfect ti- timing for me because I was like going through everything with you with the podcast and with my life. And then, then this came and it was like, I wasn't even ready for it. Like in September, I was like, oh my God, I was just afraid every class. I was just so scared. <laughs> um, I couldn't just, I couldn't just be free. It was so hard to just let go. I was like mm-hmm. holding on, you know, and then come January, it was after the winter break. And fi- and I remember I had like this moment where I was like, Bonnie, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like Bonnie like just F it just let go you know what I mean like who cares just let go and I let go and I feel like since then I've just been like so much freer and my like my creativity juices are just flowing and I'm just flowing and I mean it's still difficult in different ways but it's less fear it's less like it's it's more um accepting myself and just allowing myself to be dumb and to be a fool and to be crazy and you know just not not caring so much about other people watching me or their opinions sure it's it's been it's been beautiful it's been a beautiful it came at such a beautiful time it's definitely a surrender. You're describing a, a letting go instead of trying to control the thing, like white knuckle. You're you're kind of letting go and and letting it be, right? Exactly, exactly. And and, at the, and in parallel, I'm doing the work, the la, the last symptom work. Well, I can see how those things are complementary. They're extremely complementary. I'm so lucky that I found you. I'm so lucky that I'm in this school. Like the, together, they're just perfect. <laughs> well, I'm so proud of you for doing, for being you and for doing, exploring the possibilities here, but of what you, of what you're passionate about and not uh, let it, allowing other people to live your life for you. That's a big thing. Thank you. I mean, it is, you know, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you all the good parts. There is, it's very like, I'm barely surviving, worried about rent. <laughs> <laughs> um working way too much for my own good uh, <laughs> but yeah i'm still so happy like i would still rather be doing this than anything else <laughs> i can understand that and I, I bet there's a million people out there who can identify w- with that when you're doing what you love you're willing to take an awful lot of abuse aren't you that's very true <laughs> <laughs> You know, no matter what I listen to, no matter what I do, no matter who I talk to, um, nothing compares to your content because your content is reality. (laughs) Um, It it really isn't. It's not like you're not bringing it from like out of nowhere. Uh, It's just the reality of things. Um, That's how I see it, at least. And... Um, and I, I, I don't know why I'm so, I got so lucky. Like for me, it's like, how did I get so lucky that I found you? Or maybe how did I get so lucky that I find you, found you at the time that I did? So therefore it resonated perfectly <laughs> because sometimes you listen to something or you hear something and it just doesn't resonate because you're just not in the right place or you're not ready to hear it or whatever. Well, at the risk of the audience thinking that 
this wonderful praise, which I really appreciate, by the way, and it does make me feel very good. Makes me feel like you know my efforts are not just being you know being thrown out to the wind. Um, at the risk of my audience thinking, boy, his head must be swelling to the size of a beach ball. Let me say that what you are describing, the sentiments you're describing, that's exactly how I feel for my own experience. It was the right time. The I, I happened to encounter the right people. Um, the way that they taught me was the, the right type of teaching that I was receptive to. My ex-wife... She handled matters expertly in just the right way to force me into a position of uh, genuineness. Um, you know, she held me to concrete consequences. I mean, we're divorced. We've been divorced now for a long time. Um, I wasn't happy about all these things for a long time, but now looking back, I go, my gosh, uh, I, I'm so fortunate that all the players, all those actors in my life at that time, were there when they were and they complimented my recovery so well so you know I all of the praise that you're sending my way you know I, I'm not taking it all in for myself I'm thinking back to the people who helped me and I'm saying a lot of that belongs to them too but but I'm sure that a lot of people who start experiencing recovery after they've struggled for a long time and they and then they fart come across accurate information and start gaining these these same insights that you and I are, have had. I'm sure they feel the same thing. Boy, right place, right time. Yeah, I, I, I really believe that it, it really has to be at the at the right time. Like even, you know, like I, I never go around telling people to listen to you. <laughs> but whenever anyone asks like about my story and then I tell them about you, they're like, oh, let me see that let me check it out I immediately know that like oh okay I mean they're not really gonna listen or you have to really I, I really truly believe that someone has to feel like there is no other way out and they're like suffering and there's nothing to hold on to and no safety nets and <laughs> you have to like be drowning that's one way you know the really the, the magic ingredient is just genuineness and approach Genuineness and approach. So however per a person can reach that place, then the information will do them good. Um, rock bottom, which is what you're describing, is one of those ways to, to get to genuous, genuineness and approach. <laughs> it it kind of takes out all other options off the table. But, you know, I, I have talked to people who, without hitting rock bottom, on their own, they reach a place of genuineness in their approach. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but, um, hitting rock bottom is one of the, the surest ways to tap into that. <laughs> it was in my case anyway. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think what you said about being genuine and honest with yourself, I had to have gone through that to actually finally be honest with myself. I think I, I just never needed to be. Um, I had all these other things I could hold on to and like safety and security and whatever. Typically what I'll tell people who, especially wealthy people, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for you if you're wealthy 
because the more you have, the less incentive you have to do things different. You know, for me, as long as life was pretty good, I had no incentive to to question uh, my perceptions and question my thought patterns and all these things. Uh, it was only when I had nothing left to lose and nothing external left to gain. That was when I found myself in a place where, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm either going to do it for real or not at all. Because if I'm not going to do it for real, what's the point? And I really dug down deep and yeah, started self-initiating and you know, really motivating myself to do it. Yeah. I love that. I love your story. Oh, there's so many more details. Sorted. <laughs> I'm sure. Sorted details. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to go to jail anytime soon, so maybe we'll just leave that stuff out. <laughs> Please don't. We need you. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I'm kind of kidding. There were a couple of instances where I think back and go, oh, my goodness. I <laughs> I was so out of my mind. I mean, I really could have gotten into a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know, I, I do have something. You, you asked me what I wanted to say. Yeah. So when I first found you and, you know, started listening to you and all of that, it's like you can't be, you you, you know, one of your biggest pieces of advice was don't be in a relationship when you're recovering um and uh, do you know how religiously I did that <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> no relationship <laughs> um well committed committed relationship committed relationship yeah no committed relationship I, I kind of went like maybe I I was pretty dramatic like I didn't even have like um little relationships like I just didn't have I was just alone um I was so committed <laughs> uh I mean I still you know I still went on dates and saw people but it wasn't like I was never in anything serious mm -hmm. or even a little bit serious uh and I was pretty open and honest with anyone that I that I uh met uh, where there's like potential Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, but still sometimes I would actually fall into like, I would actually like people and then get hurt and stuff like that. Things, things like of that kind would happen, of course. Uh, but, um, but I remember like, it was one of my main, one of the main things that I thought about in general is like, oh, significant other, like, and just, oh, and I, one of the things in my life was always that I needed validation from a man. Right. Like, I always needed a validation. It was, like, since I was 14 until I was 20, until I was 30. <laughs> um, there was always someone there, like, no matter what. Even even when I thought that there wasn't, there actually was. Like, I, I just lied to myself. Like <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I've been single for two years. Yeah, but you've been talking to, like, five guys <laughs> on the phone. Like, there's, like, always a guy there to just make me feel like I had any kind of worth. Um... And uh, so it was one of those, I mean, it was the main driver for finding you. It was, it was actually the main driver in my life and just, and just everything, just um, my love life and relationships. 
Well, it makes all the difference. You know, if it it takes real wisdom to hear Brian Barnett from The Last Symptom say that and to to see why that's so important. Um, you know, recovery is an individual accomplishment, as I've repeated a million times. When you get into a committed relationship, unhealthy people view themselves begin to define themselves by the relationship. So they never get any time to themselves to define themselves as they themselves, as an individual. And, you know, a healthy relationship are two complete people. They're two people who know exactly who they are, who who like themselves individually, are perfectly comfortable spending time with themselves and being alone, coming together. And people say, well, why would they even come together if they're so comfortable like that? Well, you know, why do I put a pool in my backyard when it's already a perfect backyard? Because it enhances the backyard. It's not that my yard needs a pool, but the pool is nice. And that's what, you know, that's the thing about relationships. Full, complete people who are perfectly content with themselves, happy with themselves, saying, you know what, I'm going to find something to complement this. They don't go out and pick some unhealthy guy or some unhealthy woman. Emotionally healthy people don't do that because then you're not complimenting what's already good. Instead, you're tearing it down. You know, that would be like me having my perfect yard, my perfect house, and saying, hey, I'm going to put a, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm going to install a, uh, a drug house in my backyard. I knew this was going to be funny. <laughs> you know, I'm, or yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, want a, I want a big old ugly shack back there. <laughs> Where, you know, it's, it doesn't make sense. You don't, healthy people don't do that. They're, what they're looking for is a compliment to what's already good. They're not looking for something to come in and make good what isn't. I could go off on that for hours because it, it, it gets frustrating to me because it's, you know, that's how a lot of people find me. It's all about relationships, relationships, relationships. Well, I did the same thing. Listen, by the time I was a teenager up until, you know, 38, something like that, um, I could not be without a relationship. I define myself by, by my relationship. Uh, that was my whole identity. And if I wasn't with somebody, man, I'm walking around like a shell. You know, I'm, I'm an incomplete person. I, it wasn't until my recovery I realized how demented that type of thinking is. And I, being by myself, got to know myself and really like myself. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect or that there are things about myself that I wouldn't like to improve upon. But, but I genuinely like myself, you know, and before I didn't, I needed a relationship to kind of compensate for my emptiness. I don't even think about guys. <laughs> I don't even, I honestly, I, I rarely think about, about like, well, I guess that's a lie. Like I do think about the future and I do wonder if I will get married and have kids, but I'm not like thinking about anyone now, if that makes sense about imaginary people or like people that I know that I shouldn't be thinking about, but I'm like, I need someone to think about. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> like, I'm just like, there's no compulsion there. 
yeah, I'm just like enjoying other things. Like I'm no longer so obsessed with like having someone or or talking to someone or or anything. Yeah, there's only one per, there's only one reason why people are compulsive about being in relationships or about thinking about the opposite sex or whatever your preference is, but it's not just an enjoyment of companionship. <laughs> the comp- compulsivity doesn't come from just the enjoyment of companionship. Compulsivity comes from an inaccurate perspective of what that is, of what that is doing for your life. And like I said, if you have an accurate perspective that you're you're a complete person by yourself and that your own company is pretty darn good, there's no compulsivity born from that of oh I gotta I gotta be with somebody I gotta be with somebody that that compulsivity only comes from believing that you need it you're somehow not full without it um, or if you're not if you're not in a relationship or if you don't have you know guys or girls um, you know falling out your windows because they're they're so numerous and you're getting all that attention that somehow you're you're worthless right the compulsivity comes from only unhealthy things it doesn't come from anything accurate or healthy yeah and and the beginning but the beginning of this new stage i'm in started out with loneliness there was like i was like quite lonely even though i knew you know i i knew that i was lonely and that it wasn't real like not that it wasn't real it was real but it was that like I'm just it's just a habit that I'm that is no longer there I I had to kind of like accept feelings of loneliness to kind of and feel them and feel sadness and all of that to to get to the place I am at now which I'm not saying I'm at a perfect place but I'm at a place where it's like oh I'm not actually lonely you know I have moments of loneliness like Uh I have moments where it's like oh like Obviously, you know, that's I think that's natural. But like, I'm not like in a never ending lonely state or anything. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that. We don't want you to be lonely in the like most densely packed city in the world. That's. that's, Oh, yeah. That's contradictive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's not. This is the easiest place to be lonely. (laughs) Yeah, I know. People are sort of uh, off putting, aren't they? I mean, they're they're not real. It's not like. driving into some small town in America where everybody wants to say hi to you. <laughs> yeah. It's not, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you a story. Uh, when I was in London, I had only been out of Appalachia for not, not very long and uh, traveled to London. And when we were walking back, my ex-wife and I were walking back from Beatles studio, their music studio. <laughs> and me being the out of fish uh, country boy that I was, you know, I was just like, hello, hello to everybody I was passing because that's what we do and where I'm from. In fact, <laughs> when you when you pass somebody driving the opposite way on a road, you wave at them. You don't know who they are, but you wave at them because that's polite. Wait, what do you mean? You're like constantly saying hi to people? <laughs> Yeah, like when you're driving down a road and a, another car's coming the other way and you kind of make eye contact with the person driving, you you wave at them. <laughs> you don't you've never met them in your entire life. I I'm serious. That's so funny. 
And also, when you when you make eye contact with people like on the sidewalk or whatever, you definitely say hello. It's <laughs> just what you do. But anyway, uh, I'm in London. I'm walking down the road, and this guy's walking towards us about my age. And uh, I gave him my best country bumpkin smile, and I said, hello there. And he said, what the fuck are you looking at? I just like, what? But I was nice. I was nice to him. <laughs> That's so funny. I can so see that happening. And he looked like he wanted to kill me. If I did that here, I don't think they would even put the effort to be like, what are you doing? Like, they would just be like, they would don't even look at me. <laughs> After I lived in Philly for a decade, I began to understand it. It seems suspicious. Some stranger walking down the road going, hello. Hi there. Hi there. Hey, you want to come over for dinner later on tonight? It's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know you. Whoa. What do you, what do you want from me? Yeah. What are you trying to... It, it's suspicious. It's like, what are you trying to... You're trying to uh, play me or something here. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely cultural differences between <laughs> where I'm from and the city. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> 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 oh boy. Mm-hmm.